Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey Jonathan, how's it going? Amy, I woke up this morning to a blanket of freshly fallen snow here in Nashville. And I am jealous. I bet you are. It's gorgeous outside. It looks like Narnia. It hasn't started melting yet. It's awesome. Yeah, everyone is getting this. We have gotten, we got massive like rain, you know, storms coming through yesterday. We've got a lot of wind today. We're recording this on Friday. Keith has been in Pittsburgh at a, a some meetings and he woke up to snow, sent me a picture. And uh, so it seems like everybody is getting it except for North Carolina. That's how it feels anyway. I'm sure it's coming. So just be patient and I'm sure you'll have some soon. We'll see. I don't know. All right. Well, hey, we're going to jump right into the news this week. Had a big date in court yesterday as the North American Mission Board was in the 5th United States District Court of Appeals down in New Orleans, defending itself uh, against an appeal of a lower court ruling in the case involving Will McCraney's lawsuit against the North American Mission Board. Yes, and Baptist Press sent someone down there, actually. George Schroeder, the editor of Baptist Press, Associate Vice President for Convention News, was at the court. Yes, he was, and there was a three-judge panel uh, that is hearing this case. This is a before three judges. That's how the uh, the Circuit Court of Appeals works uh, across the U.S. They have three judges uh, from a docket or a slate of a, f- a few judges that that hear these cases, not a jury or anything like that. And they were basically hearing the case and whether or not it should go back down to the lower district court uh, to proceed with the case because there was a motion of summary judgment in favor of the North American Mission Board to end the case on ecclesiastical grounds. Uh, saying that they can't speak into the church's dealings uh, because the case involves mission strategy uh, was the argument from the North American Mission Board. And uh, so we now wait. Both sides made their arguments, uh, Nam obviously to say, yes, this is the correct ruling. McCraney, the plaintiff, obviously saying, no, it's not. And it should go back to the court, back down to the district court in the Northern District of Mississippi to finish the case and continue the trial. So now we just kind of wait for these three judges to make their ruling, which we expect probably 60 to 90 days, Amy, I would say, you know, we're probably somewhere time in April. Right. I think we will have an answer on this before we get to Orlando. That's a good estimate. Yeah. Yes. So and sometimes just by listening to what the arguments were from each side or hearing the questions, you know, you can kind of get a feel. But the reality is we we won't know what's to come of this until we get the actual ruling. So all eyes are on the Fifth Circuit. Yes, and we've got a link to the audio of that. They they post that audio online, so you can go and listen to the audio and hear exactly from the lawyers and their arguments. So you can do that uh, if you want. You can find that link at sbcthisweek.com on today's show notes. But uh, a couple of highlights from the lawyers and the case they made. Uh, Harvey Barton, who is the attorney for Mr. McCraney, stated that NAM is not a church. They're an entity that controls money, and this is a dispute about power and money, not about church doctrine. It's about who gets to be in control. Representing NAM, on the flip side of that, this dispute was inherently religious. Donna Jacobs also argued that delving into the facts of the case would necessarily require an unconstitutional intrusion into religious matters, and added that the admission by both parties that the initial dispute between McCraney and NAM was about mission strategy meant that the judges and the the courts know what they need to know because both parties on the front end of this, according to NAM, admitted that the initial dispute was over mission strategy. 
So the district court dismissed the lawsuit because the secular courts may not interfere with the internal affairs of religious ministries, and the First Amendment affords religious freedom for all churches and ministries, and an appellate decision upholding the dismissal of the lawsuit would further these well-founded constitutional protections. Uh, Basically saying that the North American Mission Board has never asserted through its defenses in this lawsuit or otherwise that it has authority or hierarchical control over any SBC church, association, convention, or other entity, and that NAM firmly believes in and supports autonomy and congregational cooperation in the SBC, which is grounded in our theology. So some First Amendment arguments being made in this case, Amy. So we will keep an eye on this, and like you said, we probably will have an answer before we get to the SBC annual meeting in June. All right, it's the first of the month, Amy. You know what that means. CP. It does mean CP, and I got some good news, Amy. Almost $19 million came in to the cooperative program, National and International Missions and Ministries budget in January. Amy, $18,948,471.79, don't forget the 79 cents, brings us to a grand total after four months of almost $66.5 million for the cooperative program national allocation budget. That's really good news. Yes, it is, because the budget is only $65.5 million right now. So we're about a million dollars over budget right now, almost a million dollars over budget in our giving, which equals around 1.47% that we've given above budget this year, and 2.96, almost $2 million above last year's giving. So some great news out of the cooperative program to start the year. Yes. So let's hope that we keep seeing that trend. Absolutely. So this is really good. I mean, we're having a great month, a, a stronger month than we had last January. So things are going really good. And we're seeing some some states and we're hearing things from states that their giving is up. We talked about that a little bit last week, I think, with Tennessee, how they had like their biggest month ever in their history in cooperative program giving. So I, I'm excited about this, Amy. It's, it's really looking good for the cooperative program now. Yeah, very good. Up to Arkansas, Amy, where we have some news about the Arkansas Baptist newspaper. The trustees of the Arkansas Baptist News voted to dissolve the separate corporate entity that operated Arkansas Baptist News. So this is in the the BP story that we'll have a link to. And they're going to transfer that news service over to the executive board of the Arkansas Baptist State Convention. So this is something that... Uh, kind of fits with what we've seen in other places with all a lot of state Baptist papers trying to figure out what to do with challenges that print journalism is facing. And then even beyond state Baptist papers, just the newspaper business in general, we've been seeing a lot of different companies trying to figure out just what to do in the shift to a digital age and how that impacts print journalism. And so in this case, the Arkansas Baptist News is transferring completely to the state convention. This comes on the backdrop of a significant decline in subscriptions and revenue, but it's structural changes, not ministry changes. And you mentioned we've seen this in Southern Baptist life. I I can at least count, I think this is the fourth or fifth since like we've really been plugged in uh, to the SBC uh, state newspaper that has significantly cut back. You know, they're, they're stopping right. printing. They're st- they said they still have an online presence, but they're, they're printing no more. Uh, just like I know we've seen in Florida and Georgia. Right. So th- those have come before and now Arkansas here too. So sad day for our friends up at the Arkansas Baptist News. But it, the state convention says that they will continue on the, as they called it, Ministry of Information. Yes. So wish them all the best in that up there in Arkansas. Amy, a couple of trustee meetings this week, including one that I was able to attend because, hey, it was here in Nashville. So why not attend it, right? It's just right down the road. Yeah. Over at Lifeway, 
Ben Mandrell uh, pretty much addressed his first trustee meeting uh, kind of with his feet under him. And you know, he had one back in the fall uh, that, you know, he just got into the role and only been there, you know, a few weeks whenever uh, the trustee meeting took place in the fall after he was named the president last summer. So uh, first kind of, I would quote, say this is his first real trustee meeting that he's, he's had a chance to, you know, shape and to really speak into right. and bring, uh, bring really, something, really, really bring something yeah. to report and prepare. Yeah, yes. yeah exactly. And, and so uh, I was able to attend that with George Schroeder. We got a story up in Baptist press, thanks to the folks over at Lifeway as well, helping us out with that. But the big shift last year was to the digital side of things at Lifeway. They're seeing a 25% increase at lifeway.com. The sales over there, 25% up year over year over at lifeway.com. In addition to that, they also have 459 locations of their authorized dealer program. So people that have uh, local stores that have Lifeway product in them, uh, showcases in those stores, 459 locations in 46 states. Remember, they only had 180, 186 stores to begin right, with. Right. This includes 90 new markets. So they've got 46 states. I think we only had maybe 30, 35 states covered with the mm-hmm. stores. And now they've in 46 states, 459 locations as compared to the 186, including 90 new markets where they've never had a brick and mortar storefront. So uh, that's a fantastic news on that program. And they were able to serve 75,000 churches around the globe through their resources, events, and services last year. Remember, there's only 47,000 Southern Baptist churches out there. And they're serving 75,000, so a, a very strong customer base for LifeWay out there, not just in the U.S., but globally. Very cool, yes. And then they also announced organizational changes. So they're creating three new teams that had made up the resources division. Church ministries being one, publishing, and sales and business management. So that was resources. Now they are three different divisions. And then a newly formed theology and communications team. So then uh, the trustees elected three senior vice presidents. Michael Kelly will be senior vice president of church ministries. Bill Craig will be senior vice president of publishing. And Trevin Wax will be senior vice president of theology and communications. So All good that's, friends of the pod, by the way. Yeah, so that's kind of a big deal. Also, they recognized Brad Wagoner, who is moving from chief operating officer to executive advisory officer. And then Faith Watley, Director of Author and Strategic Partnerships for their continued leadership. Yep. And know all those folks. They're all no strangers to Lifeway. Been around there for a while. And uh, good friends of ours. I know we worked with all of them, really. And uh, big fans of all of them. So good to see them elevated to those senior vice president positions. Uh, also, they formalized a couple of other placements. Chris Knight, the general counsel, uh, was affirmed as the senior vice president and chief legal officer. And Earl Roberson uh, was affirmed as the senior vice president for sales and business management. They have already really been acting in those roles. So uh, just kind of affirmed that and, and made that official. So congratulations to them too. And then they also announced that they have a chief information technology officer that will be coming soon. And she has accepted the job, but they, they're not sharing the information. I guess they're trying to hammer out the announcement with her previous employer. So uh, that's exciting news there. We should have that, I guess, sometime in the next couple of weeks on the podcast. So stay tuned to find out who the next chief information technology officer will be at Lifeway. And then finally, Amy, some business. Joe Walker, the CFO, presented the uh, budget from the first quarter revenue of $56 million, which is 600000 or 1% above 
where they had expected it to be. So some really good reports on the financial side. Uh, we, we live tweeted the presentation over at Baptist Press that they gave on this. So at Lifeway, the big question was, you know, what will it look like post brick and mortar retail? Right now, things are looking pretty good over there for the resource provider. There you go. Amy, tell us about the IMB trustee meeting. We, we talked a little bit about this last week and we previewed and said it was coming. So here yes. it is. So now we have a story. So we talked about the commissioning service um, and usually those stories kind of come, come separately, but they also had their trustee meeting out in Riverside, California. And uh, Paul Chitwood announced a five-year plan at that trustee meeting, as well as trustees elected Charles Clark as vice president of mobilization and Price Jet as vice president of finance, logistics, and technology. Um, All right, but let's talk about this five-year plan. So they have announced five targets that are built around the vision and mission to engage unreached people and places over the next five years. First one is mobilize 75% of Southern Baptist churches to pray for and financially support the Lottie Moon Christmas offering by 2025. We, We can do that. Yes. So, and uh, this is an interesting statement in here uh, that less than half of Southern Baptist churches reported on the annual church profile that they gave to Lottie Moon. And so there is a lot of increasing that needs to happen. And so they want to grow support to mobilize 75%. All right. Second goal, send an additional 500 fully funded missionaries by 2025. And this was a direct request from the field, 500 more. So that sounds familiar, Amy. Yes, it does. Number three, mobilize 500 global partner missionaries on IMB teams. So these are not IMB funded missionaries, but people who are embedded on IMB teams who are a part of strategy. Uh, This would be just people who are around the world helping out and working with them. So then that actually becomes uh, more than 500 people out there. It's a thousand if you think yeah. through. Fully funded missionaries and global partner missionaries. Yeah, this sounds a lot like the the limitless stuff that we've right. heard about right. over the past yeah. few years. Yeah. yeah, thinking of people who are there for other reasons but are helping and assisting teams that are on the ground. The fourth goal engaged 75 global cities in comprehensive strategies. And so this is recognizing that 80% of the world's population will be in the urban centers by the end of this century. We want to go ahead and be engaging more cities so that we are on the front end of that movement. Finally, increase Lottie Moon Christmas offering receipts by 6% annually. That's to sustain the 500 additional missionaries or $10 million per year for the next five years. There's an interesting statistic that if we say there are 16 million Southern Baptists, and then if every one of them increased their offering by 63 cents, then we would have that. Every church uh, would need to give an additional $200 per year. It can be done. That's what he was saying. So uh, increase those Lottie Moon Christmas offering receipts by 6% annually. So those are the five parts, the five sort of tangible parts of the strategy uh, to really get things where they need to be on the field. So you're saying all I need to do is add 75 cents a year to my Lottie Moon Christmas offering? I think you should add way more than that, Jonathan. But the point is, if everyone did at least that, then 
then there you go. Uh, There were a handful of other things that they talked about there. Why don't you share some of those? As you mentioned, they had the vice presidents, Charles Clark and Price Jet, that they elected to serve with them. They also announced Richard Salome has been named the IMB's general counsel, and Summer Nowak will serve in a newly created role of prevention and response administrator. So those uh, come in the wake of the Gray Plant Moody internal review that they did on abuse prevention and response. And we hope to have more information about both Nowak and Salome in the future over at Baptist Press. Amy, over to the WMU, where they also had a trustee meeting back uh, first part of January. It's been a couple of weeks. Uh, took us a little bit to get this story in. But more than 200 attended the January board meeting of the WMU down in Birmingham, including Kevin Zell and Gordon Fort from the International Mission Board. Gordon seems to always be at those WMU meetings. He was there when I was there. Um, he would come and represent IMB, so no stranger to the WMU. In their executive session, they approved the 2020 Lottie Moon Christmas offering goal at $175 million and the 2021 Annie Armstrong Easter offering goal at $70 million. They also uh, highlighted some World Crafts accomplishments and Christian Women's and Men's Job Corps accomplishments and, and had some guests from those and some little mini conferences that they had on that. And then they also uh, highlighted the upcoming Bloom event which is for teen girls in July over in Germantown uh, near Memphis. So the next board meeting for the WMU is obviously the Sunday and Monday before the annual meeting. They meet twice a year in January and right before the annual meeting. Yes, I'm hoping I'll get to go over for some of that. Yes, as the women's liaison, Amy, for the EC, you you should be there. Yes, I want to be there for some. So very exciting. All right. Also this week at Baptist Press, the 2019 Resolutions Committee uh, came with a Q&A. We did, sat down, did a Q&A with the 2019 Resolutions Committee about Resolution 9. There's been a lot of misinformation about this and some confusion. So hopefully this helped clear some of the air and clear some of the clear up some of the confusion that's out there. There's uh, four or five questions and an FAQ. Actually, more of the questions than that. There's about seven or eight questions and some FAQs that they also get from time to time on that. So uh, I highly recommend you go check that out, read that, and uh, maybe that will help clear up some of the uh, confusion, I think, that has surrounded Resolution 9 since the annual meeting. And finally, some sad news, Amy. James Leo Garrett, a professor at Southern and Southwestern during his tenure, passed away this week at age 94 in Nacogdoches, Texas. He served all the way until this week as Distinguished Professor of Theology Emeritus, 94 years old, highly, highly respected. So many people have had such wonderful things to say about him. Malcolm Yarnell has given some real tributes to him, even in recent days as his health was declining, there had been a lot you know, about him. And there's a really beautiful obituary as well as a tribute written by David Dockery, who knew him well, studied with him. And he had quite an impact on Southern Baptist life. A number of quotes from leaders in here. Steve Gaines said, great teacher, great theologian, great human being, man of God. So many, many people will have memories of James Leo Garrett, and he's deserving of the tributes that are out there. Yes, and our thoughts and prayers to the Garrett family, as well as those at Southern and Southwestern who were very close to him. All right, Amy, that's going to bring us to my favorite part of the week this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds. All right. So this week, I want to talk about Racial Reconciliation Sunday. So this is a little bit different. I don't have a particular news story to share about, you know, some little random thing. But Racial Reconciliation Sunday is coming up, and we had a Twitter thread about that. 
this week. Yes, we did. We did. We had a Twitter thread, and we've also got a story at Baptist Press about that on uh, this Friday. Yes. So one of the things we were noticing was some conversation on Twitter about Racial Reconciliation Sunday, and we realized that a lot of people didn't know didn't know much about it or about the history of it, and we wanted to share that. So we did a, a thread on our Twitter account there, and so I'm just going to share a few details about that and sort of what the history of this day is. It has always been the second Sunday in February. Which is coming up this weekend. That's right. It's coming up this Sunday. So Messengers approved it in 1963 as part of the upcoming SBC calendars in the years ahead of that. In the 1930s, we started having an event calendar where we would highlight different denominational efforts, promote ministry efforts, missions, causes, things like that. So it was a way to focus on particular things. Yeah, we talk about those from time to time here on the podcast, too. We've talked about Global Hunger Sunday and Sanctity of Life. You know, right, disaster kind of relief Sunday, things like that. That's what that's what that is. Baptist Media Sunday, Amy. Remember, we have our own yes. Sunday. Yes, yes, we do. So For us, you and me, right? Right. So, well, and, and many, many others. Yes. So. Anyway, the we had been doing that for about 30 years. So in 1963, they were approving some of the upcoming SBC calendars, and they approved a Race Relations Sunday, is what it was originally called. And the first one was in 1965, so this week will be the 56th observance of a day like that. So each calendar date is sponsored and resourced by a partner entity. And so it was originally sponsored by the Home Mission Board, and which is now NAM, and the Christian Life Commission, which is now uh, ERLC. The ERLC is now the primary resource partner for that day. So what they did was they would just provide things. Uh, Jerry Sutton wrote a book about uh, kind of a history of our engagement with culture. And he said the Christian Life Commission suggested a variety of program ideas to assist in implementing the goals of racial understanding and reconciliation. And if you look back in the Baptist Press uh, stories from 1965, they sent out a packet that had letters from Foy Valentine, who was leading the Christian Life Commission at the time, and I believe Arthur Rutledge, who was leading the Home Mission Board. They had some bulletin board posters, some just things like that, suggestions for ways that churches could talk about race relations. And then, so we so we continued to do that 30 years. In 1995, we passed the resolution on racial reconciliation on the 150th anniversary of the Southern Baptist Convention, which a lot of people uh, are very aware of that. And after that, the Interagency Council, just made up of different people from all the agencies, named a racial reconciliation task force and uh, and had Richard Land as the chair and charged them to work towards strategy and implementation of full racial and ethnic reconciliation. So after this task force comes into place and they are doing these things uh, in the wake of the 95 resolution, 98 comes and the SBC approves the denominational calendar for the years ahead and they changed it to Racial Reconciliation Sunday. But same day, beginning in 2000, it just had a different name, second Sunday in February. So we've continued since 2000 to pass uh, numerous resolutions that speak of the desire for racial reconciliation and of movement toward that and of continued movement in that. And uh, as well, the executive committee has given reports about our progress in 2011 and 2015 about progress made in racial reconciliation, recommendations, things like that. So this is an ongoing conversation in Southern Baptist life. But for 55 years, 
And uh, now for the 56th time around, uh, it has been a conversation this week in SVC history. Thanks for that, Amy. And as I mentioned earlier, we do have a story over at Baptist Press about the first black church in Alaska, which just recently was uh, awarded with a historical marker. So you can check out that story over at Baptist Press. Diana Chandler did some work on that this week to get that up for Racial Reconciliation Sunday. And I think you've got something over at SBC Life as well, don't you, Amy? Yeah, we did a feature on uh, Ken Weathersby, who retired from the executive committee, but had has done a lot in Southern Baptist life over the last several decades, uh, really just breaking ground in a lot of areas and has an incredible legacy. He was the first African-American pastor to hold a full-time associate professorship at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, also at NAM, the Tennessee Baptist Convention, so many different things, and built bridges for the SBC in a lot of these areas. And so this is a great feature that tells more of his story. We did a Baptist press release about his retirement and highlighted some of these things, but it gives more detail about the impact that he's made in the Southern Baptist Convention. All right. Well, thank you, Ken, for your work. It was a pleasure to spend some time with him at the EC. Uh, we, we overlapped just a little bit before his retirement uh, because of some medical disability. He genuinely loves Southern Baptist and the work and his legacy continues within the convention. So thanks again to Ken for his service. And uh, thanks to you, Amy, for getting that story about him done. There we go. That's going to bring us to our resources of the week. Amy, your resource of the week is? My resource is a new book out by Elise Fitzpatrick and Eric Shoemaker, who is a uh, Southern Baptist pastor. I believe he's an associate pastor in Iowa, home of the famous Iowa caucus. (laughs) And uh, it's a book. That's one word for it, Amy. Or infamous after this week. It's called Worthy, and the subtitle is Celebrating the Value of Women Within the Body of Christ. And I've known about this book for a while. I just got my copy in the last week, and I'm really excited about digging in to this one. Elise Fitzpatrick, who is already one of my favorite authors, and then uh, Eric Shoemaker, who has just done a lot to encourage me over the last few years through his ministry. And so I'm really excited about this book. All right. My resource of the week is. Not as cool as yours, Amy. It's CP Ministry Reports. That's very cool. Okay. Well, for nerds like us, it is. So Ministry Reports, those are at the SBC website. They just came in this week. They're posted now. But these are kind of mid-year updates from all your SBC entities. So we get a, a book of reports every year at the annual meeting, right? Yes. That That includes everything that's going on in the past year for Southern Baptist entities. This is kind of a mid-year snapshot. What's going on? There's a video from each. There's uh, some financial data. There's for the seminaries. There's their ATS data and their enrollment data. So it's just it's just a bunch of numbers, bunch of updates. But it gives you kind of a snapshot of how things are going. So a lot of people we hear from people all the time about transparency and the need for transparency. Well, a lot of times the information's out there, people just don't know it. So right. I'm highlighting this ministry reports. I've got a thread on Twitter that you can go read and t- tells basically the same thing with the link as well. So there's a thread on my Twitter. There's the link here at the show notes. But check out those ministry reports over at the SBC website because uh, you know these are your entities. Uh, those of you listening out there, Southern Baptists, know what's going on. There's data out there to be read, and yes. some of it's, you know, it can be redundant at times, but at the same time, it's it's really informational, and you can learn a lot by just reading up on what's presented. So I'm just going to throw that out there. So we'll link to that. Ministry reports, a lot of work goes into those from each of the entities, so I wanted to take a minute and highlight those because, uh, I mean, if you do the work, you want people to notice it, right, Amy? That's right. 
All right, well, that's going to do it for us on the show this week. Amy, next week, I will be in Arizona uh, with a meeting of the Association of State Baptist Papers and the state convention execs are all going to be out there in Arizona and for a, an annual meeting. And George is going with me to that. So I've got to present next week. So looking forward to some time with our state paper representatives, as well as our state execs from across the SPC. Uh, Amy, maybe one year you'll get to join us out there and for that. So yeah, um, I bet you will not have snow. I bet I will not. It's going to be great. It's going to be like 70 degrees and dry. And which after the 40 degrees and wet that we've had here in Nashville, like the last two weeks, I'm looking forward to this. Yes. So it's going to be good. And uh, we'll get to see some of our friends out there in Arizona. So if you're there, be sure to say, hey, those of you at the State Papers, uh, let us know you listen to the pod. So uh, looking forward to that and looking forward to meeting our uh, newest state execs. Amy, we've got a couple of new ones since last year. So be a good chance to, to sit down and talk to them. Maybe be able to get a couple of them on the podcast in the future. All right. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. We'll see you next week. See you next week. <laughs>